Hello and welcome to From My Home to Yours. I'm Matt. I'm Bernadine. And welcome to episode seven. Episode seven. It's actually starting to feel like we're really getting into the rhythm of this podcasting biz, Matt. Yep. (laughs) This is usually the episode where people start to peter off and Um, give up on their podcasts. So it's good that we're still going. It's good that we're still going and it's good that you're still listening. So thank you everybody who's still with us on this journey. We are, as usual, drinking a cup of tea each. What are you drinking today, Matthew? I am drinking, without spilling on my phone, a Paka tea. I believe that's a New Zealand type branded tea that's available here. It's chamomile (coughs) chamomile. (laughs) We call chamomile chamomile. (laughs) And manuka honey and vanilla, I think. so. That's a really good one. Mm. And I'm having a little cup of tea. I'm having a little brand mint tea just for something different today. So we decided to go for a non, non-traditional tea for this particular episode, but it's yeah. hitting the spot. Tea for recording on a Saturday. I'm telling you, it's a good way to go. A little cool. cup of tea. Yum. Yay. <laughs> so we have some shout outs to begin our episode, as is our routine. Yep. We just love letting you guys know that we know that you're listening. And we think that you're awesome. So the first one that we want to make is to someone, a good friend, Binchy, we know that you love listening to the episodes, so we just want to let you know that we're thinking of you and yeah, we just want to make sure that you're feeling all right. Make sure that you reach out to us if you want to share and talk about stuff. Absolutely. We're sending you lots of love and big hugs from where we are. Um, also, my uncle Michael, we know that he's a, he's a mad listener as well. He's made himself known on the Instagram a couple of times as well. <laughs> Which uh, we love. With some delightful, perhaps potentially misconstrued comments that he follows up with others. But in any case, we, we, we appreciate that you listen every week as well. And, and yeah, we love seeing your comments on our posts. So thank you, Michael. Thank you. Uncle Mike. We did want to make a, a big shout out to my parents and Bernadine's parents as well. You know, that my parents housed us for a little while and they were very supportive coming here from Australia. And Bernadine's parents have been brilliant with giving us a place to stay and just making sure that we're we're loved and homed and have everything that we need. It's been great. And they're also very dedicated listeners, which is lovely. So it's great to have both sets of parents be so supportive on both sides uh, because it's not easy for your parents to have had you leave. And it's obviously very exciting for my parents to have us back, but Mm. there's still strong feelings and emotions on both sides. So thank you very much to both sets of parents for just being generally and specifically amazing. Mm. And continuing to be. Exactly. And I've got a few shout outs that I want to make as well to a couple of different people who have been just excellent in the way that they interact with us and the support that they give us. So Ellen, a very dear family friend of ours who has been a huge support to us as a couple for our entire relationship, but also she's a very keen listener and she gave us a shout out on Instagram the other day uh, to say that her that our podcast makes her Mondays better, which is a lovely thing to say. And mm. um, so thank you so much, Ellen. We really appreciate it. Want to also shout out my friend Jill, who Matt has actually never met because we Myself and Jill met when I worked as a governess in the Outback uh, 12 years ago now. Mm. And um, Jill is awesome. She's also a fellow Irish person, but she lives in the remote Outback 
with her family and uh, she's still uh, doing a wonderful job there and uh, she's a keen listener and she's also a keen lighter of candles. So thank you so much, Jill. We really appreciate you. And I also want to send lots of love and hugs to um, my dear workmate in Australia, Nicole, who is a keen listener and uh, just to let her know that we're thinking of her and that we love her very much. Mm. So thank you everybody for listening and please keep in touch with us. And we will be thinking about doing a uh, an episode where we maybe get some questions from you and read out the things that you've sent us. We've got a couple already, but if you are keen to get in touch with us, you can DM us on Instagram at FMHTY podcast or send us an email, fmhtypodcast at gmail.com. Yep. And we're also still keeping an eye on Irish expats. So if we see things come up there that we feel like we can talk about on the podcast, we're very happy to do that as well. So um, anybody who, yep, who wants to send us topics or ask questions, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Maybe even tag us in the expats group on Facebook and we can happily jump in and share whatever experience we've got. Absolutely. We're keen, guys. We're here for you. When we released our, the fifth episode, that was the recording of all of the little snippets of the journey for the last few days of, it was probably 10 days actually. Yeah. In like the, the lead up to the travel and arriving in Ireland, it was, it was a little pet project that we weren't quite sure how it was going to turn out on the other side, did we? No. Well, we were, we had had that conversation that we really wanted to make an episode where we brought all the listeners with us from Australia to Ireland. And that's actually what we called the episode, taking you with us from Australia to Ireland. Mm. But we have received so many messages and emails and DMs for, and text messages even from people. Like we're still receiving messages from people about that particular episode. Uh, and I can't, I literally can't number the amount of people who messaged to say that they cried listening to that episode, either all yeah. of it or part of it. <laughs> Yeah, but there were some emotionally charged moments and maybe some that I didn't ask to record before we, before I actually did it. Of course, it wouldn't have gone in without, without your permission. But no. Yeah, that, that was kind of the point, though, to, to kind of capture those moments that you can't capture in a recording session like what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. Because you can't carry around the podcast kit all the time. Yeah, we're really glad that it connected with so many people and elicited such a reaction. I think people um, enjoyed the kind of realness of it. And uh, mm. the section which Matt is referencing is the bit where I was crying in our house. Uh, I didn't know that Matt was uh, recording that part. Not that I have any problem with it being shared whatsoever. But one of my very dear friends, Alison, got in touch and said the bit that made her cry was in that recording that she could hear in the recording that Matt was rubbing my back as I was crying. And she said mm. that was the bit that made her cry the most. And so... It has seemed to really, um, yeah, to really capture people. And, and, and we're glad it, the whole purpose of us making that episode was to keep it real that, yes, obviously the move is, is exciting and, and, you know, it's an adventure and there's lots of, of wonderful parts to it, but it's still an emotional wrench hmm. for you to leave your home and for me to leave the home that I worked hard to create and then we worked hard to create together. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's also um, maybe helpful to people who are making a similar move that they can maybe anticipate some similar feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Before they go. Yeah. It's a bit of, you know, sympathetic release as well. And maybe some people who have experienced the same thing. And we have had comments like that 
with people that we've talked about with the podcast that things that they take take for granted or that they didn't think about that they did at the time is yeah. the stuff that we're talking about here. So, yeah. Exactly. That's something that's come up with our friend Maria a couple of times that she has said, oh, yeah, you know, when you talked about that, I went, oh, yeah, that's what I've gone through as well. And mm. and, and they moved home over a year ago, but it's it takes a while to process the whole move and and what you've what you've gone through. Yeah. But also I think for for some people who are listening to it who have no intention of making this move, uh, it really helped them to understand that process for us, which maybe is not something that they would have uh, had the same insight into, let's just say, if if it hadn't been presented in that way. So thank mm. you so much everyone for getting in touch with us about about that episode because yeah, it was a kind of a, a heart project for us and we're so glad that it touched your hearts as well. And if you ever want a in-person recording of us going for a shop in Aldi or something, <laughs> be more than happy to make that happen. Just again, send us the details that I mentioned in the in the previous segment and we'd be happy to do it. We can continue doing those real episodes if that's what you'd prefer for, yeah. the, for the podcast going forward. We can have, even have different grocery shops. It can be Super Value or Little Aldi, Tesco, Tesco. Ireland, yeah. Yeah. Dunn's. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, does Dunn's sound different to Tesco in a recording? Maybe certain aspects of our audience would like a pennies run. Oh, it'd yes. Be, it'd be a lot of a lot of clothes rustling. A lot I of think. clothes rustling and probably a lot of people shouting, oh, it's not my size. <laughs> Where <Yeah>. is that? <laughs> Bit of fun. Bit of undressing in the, <laughs> in, in the change rooms. Some zips and buttons. That could be... Uh, from my home to yours after dark episode, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Where the, the alcohol gets whipped back out again. <laughs> Part one, Penny's picking the clothes. Part two, after dark, trying them on. <laughs> and what ensues. Love it. Talking about some of the more practical things that we've managed to get done over the last little while. I think we did mention last week that the visa got locked in. Yeah. Um, but we didn't really expound too much on what the process was involved to get that stuff done. Uh, we have talked about going to the airport and talking to the person at customs and passport control about getting the stamp that we required and giving the evidence that we needed to get that stamp. But the Garda interview required for part two of that process, we hadn't covered every step of that just yet. Yeah, we mentioned it, but we didn't go into the detail of it. And it was in discussion between the last episode and this episode, I was like, oh, but I actually had to go on to Irish expats and ask a question about what paperwork we required for that interview. And I thought, now that we know, maybe it'd be good to share that with people who maybe are trying to get that ready. Mm. And of course, Irish expats was my first port of call because that's where everybody goes and um, people got back to me immediately, which was incredibly helpful. Mm. So when we, when we came through the airport and we came through together and we did mention that, what we had to present was our original marriage certificate. Matt had to present his Australian passport. Mm -hmm. I had travelled on my Australian passport, but I also had to present my Irish passport because obviously it's because I'm an Irish citizen that Matt gets to stay in the country. But being an Australian citizen, not on a visa, you had to travel on your Australian passport. Exactly. And I also wanted to travel on my Australian passport, even though I've travelled on it once before. I wanted to travel on it so that we would be in the same queue when we got to Dublin, because if we're both on non-EU passports, then we can step up together. And so really all that was involved there was the person behind the desk 
stamped your passport and wrote like a note on it, essentially, mm. to say, like we explained that this was the plan, that you were going to be here and that we were going to go and look for a visa for you. And she did say, as we were walking away, you need to print this form from the internet. But of course, not having had a huge amount of sleep and whatever, uh, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then walked away and then was like, oh, what form number was that that we needed? And I was like, okay, this is a problem. So when I emailed the guard that I had been in touch with previously about the immigration interview, he sent me a link with a whole load of um, potential visa documents that you could fill in. And I just wasn't sure which visa we were looking for because previously I'd heard it called a stamp four. But when I looked Mm -hmm. up the stamp four documents, none of them pertained necessarily to us. So I got straight on to Irish expats and I said, does anybody know what we need to bring to a spouse visa appointment? And people were awesome. So basically what we needed, guys, was we needed my Irish passport, Matt's Australian passport, our original marriage certificate, a bill in our shared names. As a proof of address. As a proof of address. And we also had, based on previous emails with this particular uh, guard, uh, a letter from my parents, signed by my parents, to say that we are currently residing with them at the address that the bill was in, just because we don't obviously have a lease or a, a proof of ownership of this address because we don't, mm. we're not leasing and we don't own it. Yeah. So what, what do you think then... You can obviously fill in what it was like from your perspective after that point that we handed over all those documents. What did you have to do then, Matt? Well, it's probably important to mention if we haven't already that it was a a guard that's specifically designated, that one of which is in every county, I think. You're correct, yeah. That is dedicated to immigration type stuff. So it was very straightforward and could even say delightful, yeah. even though it was official to to try and get it done. Obviously ours we, we always take joy in that it's a little bit simpler than probably other people's experiences with the kind of stuff that they have to do. But um, yeah, we, we rolled up to a Garda station and for our appointment there and was kind of just handing over the documents and he just did his thing on the computer. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that was unexpected after handing over all the documents was that I needed to be fingerprinted Yeah. just on my index fingers in the system, which Presumably is an EU thing. Yeah. That um, you know, it it wasn't a criminal check or anything like that. And and if you've gone through this process in Australia, then you may have been fingerprinted at some point. I know I was when I applied for the ancestral visa for the UK. Yeah, that's right. You I said needed that. to get fingerprinted for that, which was I, a very yeah. I didn't rent. realize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you were gone at the time of when I was applying for it. And it wasn't fun to get that done in Melbourne either. It's, it was in a very random spot and I had to print documents to get it anyway. Support, yeah. We were more prepared this time yeah. and it was just index fingers and a picture of my face actually. Yeah. Took a picture with a little webcam as well. It was very Spartan, but look, it was fairly straightforward, mostly because we were prepared. Yeah. And it was a digital fingerprint, so it wasn't the ink oh, box, yes. no. box and everything. Yeah. He wasn't reaching around and pressing my fingers to the to the pad like a like an old film or whatever. But he was he was a really really nice young guard. But he was on top of everything and yeah, just very very pleasant, very nice to deal with, no issues whatsoever. We were given a time slot, so it was just us and him at that particular time in that particular station. So that obviously helps a lot that you're not queuing up or you know you kind of know okay this is the time that I need to go. 
and you've got your visa now for two years. And obviously, mm. depending on how this year goes, then we can extend it if if required after next year, if it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. But all in all, it was very straightforward, not hard to do. Just the thing to bear in mind for anyone pursuing something similar is knowing what you have to go in with. And like the, the group think of the Facebook group yeah. is a great way to do that. Yeah. Though there has been a number of requests for very unusual circumstances. Like I think I saw a couple of months ago, there was a, a couple where the wife was asking if she could roll up to get the visa sorted. I think it was a stamp for visa as well. Yeah. While her husband was traveling for his job. I yeah. think he was a sportsman or some some kind like that. Yeah. And whether she could get the visa done for the appointment while he was gone because he was unexpectedly away. But of yeah. course, him being away, he has to take his passport with him as well. So obviously that can't happen. And that's the other interesting bit too that we didn't expect that we found out about. It's that you have 90 days. Yes. 90 days to complete at least the stamp for process, which we deduced was because you can extend a tourist visa up to 90 days, which for you to have less than that to complete the visa wouldn't make much sense Yeah, because you could just say, oh, I'm a tourist, you know, I can stay for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have plenty of time Yeah, at the very least from the perspective of being in a position where you can get this stuff done. It's not having to be done within a couple of weeks or even a month. Yeah. And particularly if you get in touch with your Garda station before you come home and you can't lock in that appointment. Like I emailed them, I think it was the day after we arrived and they emailed me within 24 hours with a day and a time that was less than a week after we arrived. So they tend mm. to be pretty on top of these things. And like Matt said, there is a there is a dedicated immigration guard now, it seems, in every county. So that's really yeah. what they're doing. But you don't need to print any forms off the internet is what we discovered. You literally just need to bring the items that we said. So each of you have your passport. The Irish person definitely needs to have their Irish passport. You need to have your original marriage certificate. You need to have a proof of address, preferably in the form of a bill in both of your names. And it's also no harm to have something that proves your address, either a lease document, an ownership document or a letter, an official letter, I guess, from whoever you're living with to say they're living here. And, yeah. and that all seemed to be sufficient. So just a little tip, tips and tricks for those of you making the move, because it was things that we weren't entirely positive of until we did it ourselves. So hopefully this helps somebody who's listening. Well, I think be overprepared. Yes. But. Don't presume you're missing anything if you've done as much as you can. Yeah. That's, that's probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah. And do as much as you can before leaving the country to come to Ireland. Yeah, exactly. Now, another thing that we have had a, quite a bit of conversation about, but also uh, we just want to finalise this conversation is about our car. So where are we up to with the car, Matt? Uh, well, we've got the car. We've been driving it for a little while and it's great. It's a lovely little Ford Focus. Does our the job. Independence. Yep, we can go out for a quiet jaunt and to the gym and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but at the time of recording last week, we had anticipated concluding the purchase of the car, but we have now bought it. Yeah. And the process of completing that purchase has been the subject of much conversation among people, mostly because being around your family, yeah. all of you being Irish, there is a way that it's done over here. And in Australia, it is very much the complete reverse or complete absence of things. Yeah. But anyway, we bought the car 
earlier in the week. Yeah. When we had the car, the garage that we bought it from, yeah. they had already done the registration and the NCT. Correct. Which is the roadworthiness of the car to be approved for transfer for the Australians listening. Then after that, we had to get it taxed. Correct. Which is equivalent to the registration of the vehicle in Australia. But it can sometimes be a bit more involved than it was for us, it seems. Yeah. So I have memories of going into the tax office with parents as a child and it being quite a lengthy process and not necessarily getting. I would say the warmest welcome, let's just put it like that. They could sometimes be a little bit pernickety about paperwork. So when we were going in to get it taxed, my expectation was that we would not receive the tax disc for a couple of days and it would come in the post. So we actually Mm. didn't really think we'd be able to drive the car until this coming week because we wouldn't have had it taxed. So we went in, we filled in the paperwork and I literally was about to fall over when the woman just handed us the tax disc. And I said, do I just put this straight into the car? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, we can drive the car from today. I was like, Matt will tell you, I was like uber excited to think. You were that. giddy. I was giddy. And like, I don't know how many times I said, I can't believe it's tax. Like, I can't believe it's all done. We have the disc, we have the disc. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was amazing. And it was Yeah, it was just so great because there was no point in having the car here and just sitting outside and there was nothing we could do with it. So basically everything was done within the space of a couple of hours, which was fantastic. Yeah. But for anybody who's not Irish coming to Ireland, the whole vehicle registration process, organisation process is quite different to other countries and it can be potentially a bit of an irritation the way that things have to be done here. Because yeah. it is a bit different. Definitely, it's quite different to Australia. Mm-hmm. But now we're the far side of it. We're just really glad to be the far side of it. Yeah. And for summary, feel free to take this soundbite and send it to other people if you want to. If you are purchasing a car from a dealership, they will register the vehicle first. You will need to get insurance for the vehicle. And once you have confirmed that insurance, if you you may have already paid for the car and need to pick it up, but otherwise you know, pay for it after you've secured the insurance, which is what we did. Yep. And once you have that insurance and you can drive the car, get it immediately registered. And for the first time registration of a car. Tax, he means. Yeah, Australian translation. Or to get the, the tax and register the car for the first time, you need to appear in person. Yes. There is an avenue to do it online after that point, but based on what we did, it might be ideal to just do it in person when you get a new car anyway. Yeah. Because uh, it seemed to be very, very straightforward to get done. So insurance, well, first find the car, then secure your insurance before or after payment of the vehicle. Then once the insurance is locked in, do tax. Then once that's all sorted, you'll be ready to go. Yeah. And as we say in Ireland, drive it like you're late for mass. We don't, we don't condone unsafe driving. No, no, we also don't condone being late for mass. Absolutely not. You're in you that seat 10 minutes ahead of time and you've maybe even had time to light a candle. But you don't get a seat if you're late. Oh God, no. You Standing stand room only. Awkwardly at the back of the room. Absolutely. Potentially wearing your slippers or not, as the case may be. <laughs> yes. Uh, and also on other news, I have applied for my learner's permit, as they're now calling it here in Ireland. So once I have received that, I can actually get some driving lessons locked in. So I haven't 
taken any driving lessons yet because I don't have my learner's permit. But once I do, I'm going to be starting the process of learning to drive and I will talk about that in future episodes. Yep. Lots of car chat coming up. Well, yeah, we might give it a few episodes break. <laughs> We've been talking about the car a lot. The car is a big deal though. It's a big deal to get around in, in this country. But it's also going to be something that I would imagine 99% of people coming to Ireland will need to navigate as well. So hopefully this information has been useful to them. And again, if you're an Australian, it's going to be very backwards. Yes. Just capture that soundbite, save it, write it down. And when you're coming, you'll be, you'll be ready to go. But cheers to the car. Cheers to the car. So we've been talking a lot about me and my feelings in the last few episodes, which I guess is fair enough. It's a, a new country for me and I haven't lived anywhere else for an extended length of time besides a short time in England. But how are you feeling at the moment about moving back and what it's been like so far? Well, we're two and a half weeks now. Um, but if I was to put it in a length of time, I'd say we could have been here for months at this point. Or I certainly feel in myself that it's, it, I feel like I'm here a very long time. I was having a conversation with you about this the other day and I said, I don't know how long it's been since I felt this calm uh, and grounded and, and settled. I didn't feel ungrounded or very manic or anything like that in Australia, but I certainly felt different to how I feel right here, right now in this moment. Now, it could be because I'm on school holidays and I'm not in a new school yet, so I don't have to necessarily worry about it. Like there could be a lot of reasons why I'm feeling like this. My sleep is incredible since we've got back here. I'm sleeping full nights, no waking up, not waking up early. So there's a lot about that that sort of leads me to believe that my body is is less stressed and just generally I feel quite settled. We've had a couple of really lovely and also kind of quite funny incidents since we've come home. So within the first couple of days of us being home, we went with mum and dad into a cafe in our local town. And between getting out of the car and about an hour and a half later getting out of the cafe, I think we bumped into or spoke to about 12 different people that I have known from different stages of my life. They've either known me my whole life because they're older than me or I've known them either through clubs or through school and they were just all so positive and joyful and happy and, and excited to find out that we're back and that we're home for a year. And there was a lot of shock and surprise that was like, oh my gosh, you've got an Australian to move back to Ireland. Wow. You know, people generally mm. seem to be quite shocked. We have had a couple of people say, ah, listen, everybody here is, is going there. Like, it's very odd that you are moving back. Yeah. But I do think the people moving from here to Australia are people in their 20s generally, which was the age that I went. So, you know, there does tend to be a time that you kind of look to move back to Ireland if you went away in your 20s. And mm. it's around this age group that I'm in now. But it was just so lovely to have all these people. And then uh, the Friday night before last, we went to a community barbecue that mm -hmm. was like a community fundraiser. And we had had gorgeous weather for the days leading up to it. And this particular day, it was literally bucketing. It was so wet and quite mm. miserable. Now, it's important to note that the weather is important because as a community event, it wasn't set up in a hall or a building. It was a bunch of uh, like marquee tents with outdoor seating. And it'd be like school chairs that you'd expect to see in, in an old primary or a secondary school from back in the day. Exactly. So it's lashing rain around 
you know, marquee tents on gravel and dirt. It's uh, it made for an interesting summer barbecue. It was like slip sliding along. But what was absolutely gorgeous was there was a couple of our neighbours who had never met Matt before and they were literally welcoming him to the parish and, and you know, saying like, you're one of us now and it's great mm. to have you here. And that was just lovely. And then oh, I just bumped into so many people, generally people who are like my parents' age that have known me or I've known them my whole life. And there was a few people who were trying not to cry there was a couple mm. of people who said, you know, you've made my day that you're back. Like, I can't believe that you've moved and you're here for a year and we're so excited. And yeah, it was just very heartwarming, very uplifting. There was a point where I could see that Matt was sort of looking around the marquee. We'd had our barbecue food, which was, oh my gosh, beyond delicious. And mm. I said to Matt, is this the most Irish thing <laughs> that you've been part of? Because it was particularly Irish event. But I don't think you found it too too bizarre, did you? No. Well, I mean, the weather thing isn't unusual for Melbourne anyway. True. You, you get a 40 degree day and then follow it with a, a rainy 20 degree day or something like that. But look, I think it, w- it was really, it, it hasn't been unusual for you to have encounters like that yeah. when we've come back. And there's a bit of a bit of country culture, small town culture here where uh, Often when we sit, you may not engage with anyone, but you'll always be looking around at who's coming into a cafe or moving away out of the cafe and, you know, give them a good look up and down and see what they're up to and how they're looking and not necessarily ask them, but no, just say, oh, you know, that's the person who, who sells the stuff down at the shop <laughs> that went to school with this person who died last year, that kind of thing. Very much so. Yeah. So it was, it's, it's, I think it was great to see that, that you were connecting with people in that cafe in the small town that you knew and that people were happy to see you back and doing all the right things. Yeah, it was lovely. And, and what was, I think potentially, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think what might have been a bit bizarre for you, Matt, is that like all those people that we met in that cafe and many of the people that we met at the community barbecue, you had never met before. You may have heard me talk about them. But yeah. I think there's like a moment where you're with your spouse, you know, myself and Matt have been together now for over 10 years mm. and, you know, you sort of look over and you realise that Matt's going, oh, Jesus Christ, she knows so many other people that I don't know that she knows. <laughs> like there's literally hundreds of other people that she knows that that are just coming out of the woodwork and I've never seen these people before and I don't know who they are. Like that has to be a bit odd. Well, it's only odd in that living in inner city Melbourne and probably any major city in Australia, you don't have that same, same kind of community feel where everybody is, you know, three degrees away from each other. Yeah. Or everybody knows somebody who's sharing the news about that person with another person. That's just not the, the culture that I was brought up in. It was very much a stick to your place on the street and you may see your neighbour once a year and, you know, have a chat or say, this weather, huh? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. But you've got You've got a strong community around you that gathers around the church and community events and family members and being strongly connected through businesses and stuff like that. There's a lot of things that tie you all together. So it definitely wasn't unusual to see. Mm. Um, And I definitely wasn't surprised to see that you and your parents and the people we were with know so many other people in the community. That was definitely not a surprise, but it was great to see. 
And what I loved about it was like immediately anybody who encountered you included you. Like they were like, oh, mm. God, Matt's great to meet you now. It's great to see you. And how are you finding it? And that's one thing that I do love about about this situation here is that people are very much asking about your feelings. The other mm. thing that I don't love so much is people keep asking you if you've got a job. And I'm like, can you just give the guy a break? We've literally only just got here. Like it's already, it's already pressurized enough without continuously asking him if he's got a job. But yeah, there's a lot of, I, like in Australia, people don't really tend to te- ask you how you're feeling. Whereas, mm. whereas here they will stop and say, how are you feeling? You know, and they mm. actually want to know about your emotions. But I have had that explained to me before. Somebody said to me many years ago, Ireland is a heart country and Australia is a head country. And so I think the kind of ancient quality of Ireland means that we kind of go very deep on emotions. And let's mm. listen, as you know, there's a hell of a lot of talk about death. What's the famous website, Matt? Because you should know it by this stage because it's been talked about that often. Well, I, I know death is talked about often, but the website was only mentioned in the last couple of weeks. Um, well, probably a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, it's rip.ie or rippy, as we can call it. <laughs> So for anybody in Ireland, this is not going to be a shock to you. Or if you have Irish connections, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course, I know what that is. But RIP.ie is a place where they, you know, list all of the deaths that have happened recently and all of the people who have died. And obviously, you know, it's horrific that people are dying and that, you know, there's all kinds of unfortunate situations that are arising. But it is a very common topic of conversation in Ireland. Who is dead? And um, RIP.ie is where people go to find out who has died. And uh, yeah, there's been a huge number of conversations since we've arrived about about who's died and about RIP.ie. So it's just one of those things that is very culturally Irish. And mm. yeah, it's not a new topic of conversation for you. But I would say in every conversation we have with people outside of ourselves, it's maybe 70 percent of the conversation is dedicated to people who have died who are dead or who we have heard about well look it's it's much less that it's not like the conversation comes screeching to a halt and they say oh and you heard about this person yeah so bad it was it's like that community connectedness Mm. that i was talking about before some of that is oh and you know this person oh yeah who had their their daughter died a couple of years ago of this oh yeah it was they they knew this person. Oh yeah, that person who does the, you know, the hardware shop up the road. That kind of connectedness is yeah. is part of it. But it's important too because uh, the displacement of Irish people yes. throughout the planet means that this is a resource that they can go to to connect in the same way again with what they're used to. Because we're in a country like Australia, for example, they may not no find you know, out relate. To the idea of bringing up who who died last week, yes, because they'd wonder why you're even bringing it up. Exactly, it's not a common conversational topic. And I think the other the other side of that one is as well, Matt, is we tend to live intergenerationally in Ireland and on the same footprint of land where grandparents lived or great grandparents lived, and so everybody knows each other for such a long time that you do want to know if that family member has passed because. People in Ireland don't generally tend to move around a lot. Like your home, your home place is where people have lived for multiple generations, generally speaking, countryside mm. particularly. Um, and so, yeah, you have those intergenerational connections and you want to represent for your family when somebody has died. You want to go to the removal or the funeral or sign a condolence book. 
And because funerals tend to happen within two days in Ireland, if you don't have that notification, you can miss that important information. But, Mm. you know, it sometimes can be a bit disconcerting, I would say, potentially for somebody who's new to the country. But at least Matt's getting his head around RIP.ie. Not that we're necessarily having it as a pop up on our phones just yet. No, we're not. We're not looking for sponsorship from RIP.ie. But look, it's a few few of those succulents that I mentioned last week. It's been a regular topic of conversation while I've been here. So for me, it's not unusual, but it's probably nice for you to feel those conversations again. Yeah. And and just to, I suppose, be able to give support to people who are maybe going through a difficult time as well. But another Mm. quite Irish thing that Matt got experience of since our last episode is the Irish tradition of cures, which again is maybe something that people outside of Ireland haven't heard of. It's a very, very ancient tradition. And we did mention in the last episode that both of us have having, been having a bit of an issue with pollen. Um, mm. So my dad, who also has hay fever, um, sourced some water for us, which is from a blessed well, which has the cure apparently of hay fever. And so myself and Matt have been taking the water and hoping for the best and and giving ourselves mm. every opportunity to be cured as much as possible. Yeah. And of course, it needs to be kept outside. Yeah. Needs to be drunk outside. Yeah. You need to say a small prayer of your choosing. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, I suppose, show gratitude uh, and and hope that you will receive the cure that you're requesting. Um, but mm. yeah, the tradition of cures in Ireland is 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 ancient. And, you know, over the years I've experienced it many times and, you know, people undertake it and they're like, I'm not really sure how I feel about this or I don't know if I believe in this, but I always say you have to you have to go into it with your whole heart and you know, it's it. They exist for a reason. Uh, so yeah, go with an open mind. Exactly, exactly. So we've had a good bit of Irishness, but there's also been a phrase that we've uttered multiple times about. Again, we're coming back to cars, guys, but it's <laughs> in relationship to something quite specific to do with cars. Yeah, if you've ever lived or travelled around Italy, you'd be very familiar <laughs> with what Bernadine's about to say. And if you're driving in Australia, you will be undoubtedly frustrated by it. But Hor- anyway. Horrified, horrified. Yeah. Um, so any of you who are aware of Dunbelievables, they did a sketch many years ago called Garda Patrol. And they were talking about the fact that uh, before a particular football match, cars were just left everywhere and not parked properly. And one of the comedians said there was blatant abandonmentness of cars. Now, what's number two on the agenda? Number four, <laughs> Number two is the first round of the county championship on Sunday. Now, we have a county championship final match next Sunday. Now, I'll tell you one thing, we won't have a repeat of what happened last year. <laughs> there was blatant abandonment of chaos on the side of the road. And people got out of their cars, left them where they like, and went down to the pitch. Then there was cars, the Linton Bridge, the every road bleeding down to the beach. You can't be doing that. The blatant abandonment of cars. And I don't know how many times I have said it to you, Matt, in in the weeks that we've been here. You just kind of stare at a pile of cars that is, (laughs) it'll be parked on the side of the road in varying directions because you don't have to park in the direction uh, of the traffic on the side of the road that you're facing. You can just pop right over and just chuck yourself in. Pull it in. Some people double or triple or quadruple park yeah. in certain areas, sometimes obstructing traffic entirely. Totally. 
Sometimes it'll be a four-passenger vehicle. Sometimes it'll be a, a big delivery truck. Arctic lorry, no problem. Just pull it in there, love. Yeah. Give us two minutes, be grand. I think you're at the point now where you just kind of look at it. You point at it, look at me, and then just start laughing. <laughs> it's just bewildering because traffic is so organised in Australia and parking is so organised in Australia. And when you come to Ireland again, you're just like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. This is, yeah, this is a bit, this is a bit of a schmozzle. Um, but yeah, we have seen many configurations of cars and we have seen blatant abandonments of cars. Uh, every single time we've gotten into the car, we've seen it. And we've seen people use hazard lights more than any other time in our entire lives. It's been, inc- it's been incredible. There's hazard lights all over the place. Yeah, I think they mean something different over here. Or at least contextually, it means something to anybody that person can see or has seen. I think they think it means something, but we don't know what it actually means. I think they're trying to tell us something, but we're like, we can't interpret your message because we don't know what you believe the hazard is. Well, speed limits are a bit of a guidance as opposed to a rule for some people. It's more just a general. And also it seems stop signs are also more of a guidance than a rule. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of rolling over the stop sign. I don't know how many times in the car lately I've gone, hey buddy, hey buddy, (laughs) what are you doing? And obviously they can't hear me and they don't really give a damn. That's the that's the Melbourne in you talking. That's very and much, yeah. Internal car monologue, constantly telling them to get their their licenses away from their cereal boxes and get rolling. Wherever yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, one last thing that I wanted to mention before we finish up the episode. So last weekend we had the opportunity to go to the Hinterland Festival, which is a literary festival which takes place in County Meath. And we got the opportunity to see some incredible writers up close and personal and give talks. So we saw John Boyne, Liz Nugent, Jane Casey and Bill Whelan. So John Boyne obviously wrote The Boy in the Striped Pajamas and the most recent um, companion novel to that, All the Broken Places. Liz Nugent and Jane Casey are both female crime writers from Ireland who are extraordinary. But I think we both agreed that the best talk, if you like, in inverted commas, the best talk was from Bill Whelan, who wrote Riverdance and the music for it. And as we all know, at this point in history, Riverdance is, it's a, it's a revelation. Like, I think everybody Mm. remembers where they were when they first saw Riverdance and just that moment after the dancing finished and the music finished. And there was just literally a, a, a one second gasp. And then everybody just had hair standing on their arms and they were clapping and they were cheering, whether they were at home, whether they were in the audience. But just before the talk began, they played the Riverdance music in the background where we were seeing the talk. And yourself and my mom were looking in opposite directions and I was sitting between you trying not to cry because every time I hear that music, it makes me very emotional. And I had mm. tears in my eyes, but I managed to hold it together. And Bill Whelan spoke about his, his book, which is called The Road to Riverdance. So it tells his life story. And he was so engaging, so interesting. He did mm. accents. He was just brilliant. But afterwards, my mom bought me a copy of the book and I queued up to get it signed. And um, when I stepped up to speak to him, I said, look, Bill, you know, I'm back from from being away for 13 years and I've brought my Australian husband with me. But what what you don't know is that every time I got homesick, I used to watch the Riverdance clip on YouTube and I would cry because it would make me homesick. But I would do it because I wanted to feel those feelings as well. Like if I was feeling homesick, I watched the clip to kind of bring it to the forefront And I remember very, very well Christmas Day 2012, celebrating Christmas Day on Bondi Beach and then getting back to the hostel and just feeling homesick and playing it and crying that night. Like that's one of the most outstanding times. But obviously when I told Bill Whelan the story, because I am a crier, I started to cry. 
And he just leaned over and he held my hand and he said, thank you so much for telling me that story. Mm. And so, yeah, it was just a lovely moment to be able to thank the person who made me feel connected to Ireland at the times when I felt very far away from Ireland Mm. for what he created that spoke to me about my home and my culture from a great distance. And Mm. he genuinely personally appreciated that comment, even though I'm sure he's heard thousands, if not millions of similar comments over the years. So I I really appreciate it. It felt like a full circle moment that I could personally thank him Mm. for, yeah, for what he gave to me. But he's a great guy to listen to as well. Oh, he's awesome. If you want to consume his autobiography, which you had purchased and gotten signed, which was awesome, we would probably urge you to get the audiobook version. Absolutely. Because he narrates it himself. And it's like sitting down and listening to someone, one of your best mates at the pub, who just tells stories over pints. It's, it's great. And he does the accents of all the different people. And they, he's just spot on. Like, mm. as they said at the end of the talk, he, he actually missed a career in acting as well, because he's just, yeah. yeah. Dublin, Italian, English. Limerick. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So if you have any interest in river dance or in Irish music or even like Irish culture in general, this could be a really good, um, yeah, a really good opportunity for you to experience that in this, in a particular way. So we'd really urge you to give it a go. Check the show notes. Yeah. We'll put one of your, your favorite clips in there and people can have a watch and a listen. That'd be great. But yeah, we're two and a half weeks in. We're feeling good. We've got a few things coming up this next week. We've also got a couple of days of a little holiday to celebrate a certain person's birthday sitting across from me. I don't know who that is. <laughs> and yeah, we're hopefully going to look at some some rentals in the place that we're going to be living. So let's hope, still moving. Yeah, let's hope that all of that lines up. Yeah, but you have been listening to From My Home to Yours. I've been Bernadine. And I've been Matt. Don't forget, guys, keep lighting the f***ing candles. And don't abandon your vehicle. <laughs> Blatant abandonment of cars. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Slauncher. Slauncher.